Hello, everyone. How are you? It's Wednesday, July 27th, and I am currently vacationing-ish here in 80-degree and sunny Portland, Maine. Uh, But I had to throw down the sunblock for a second and get on this mic because, you know, I want to keep you up on the latest news. And also, I had this fantastic chat with three emerging privacy pros that I want to tell you about. Okay, in today's episode, we're going to talk about this hiring problem we seem to have in the privacy industry. That is, many of you are trying to hire tomorrow's privacy rock stars, but you feel like you're not finding the right people. And similarly, tomorrow's rock stars feel like they're having or have had significant trouble getting their foot in the privacy industry's door. So we're going to talk about why that is. But first, the most recent and somewhat sexy news this week. Sound editor, Chris, please time me so I keep this brief and we can get on to the show. Let's say four minutes on the clock. I did it last week. I'm going to try again. And go. The most obvious news since I last chatted you is that the ADPPA, uh, this federal privacy bill that we are praying makes through Congress, moved through the House Committee with an overwhelming majority. So it's alive and well for now. We'll see what happens when it hits the House for a full floor vote because some California Dems have indicated they won't support a bill in the end that preempts California state law, which they feel is uh, stronger. Mac Rumors reports that Meta announced slower than expected revenue growth for the last quarter. It blames that on Apple's ATT, or App Tracking Transparency, framework. If you're unfamiliar, uh, the ATT is something that Apple installed on iOS 14.5 and later. So users opening apps on iOS 14.5 or later can choose allow tracking or ask app not to track. If they say don't track me, then that given app no longer has access to IDFAs or identifiers for advertisers. And that makes it harder to target personalized ads to that user. Routers reports that the Irish government uh, this week said it will appoint two additional commissioners to Ireland's Data Protection Commission. Both of those new hires will support existing Commissioner Helen Dixon and improve the commission's ability to handle an increased workload and increasingly complex investigative requirements. We've been hearing for a long time complaints about uh, the Irish DPC, given that uh, Dixon has purview over many a tech company and... uh, Things are moving a little more slowly than folks of critics have liked. So we'll see if these uh, little helpers will help her out. Okay, the Senate Commerce Committee met on Wednesday, July 27th, to discuss two children's privacy bills that together would provide stricter regulations on how online platforms operate for children's and teens, the committee reports in a statement. They would also bring the U.S. closer in line with the GDPR when it comes to kids. So those two bills are the Kids Online Safety Act and the Children and Teens Online Privacy Protection Act, also known as COPPA 2.0. So both bills now move on to the Senate for a floor vote, and we'll keep you posted on that. Lastly, the CPPA, the California Privacy Protection Agency, is holding a special meeting today, July 28th, to discuss and take possible action on the proposed ADPPA. You may have seen Anna Eshoo uh, last week in the House hearing come out and say that, hey, uh, we don't support ADPPA's federal preemption provision. Uh, we think that California law is stronger and therefore we're going to fight this. And uh, the CPPA has come out vocally uh, saying the same thing, which is, uh, you know, part of uh, issues arsenal. I'm calling it the issue issue, which I think is very funny. But I said it the other day to a friend and they were kind of like, meh. So we'll see. Should we make it a thing? I don't know. Anyway, we'll see what happens at that special meeting and uh, what they have to say. Okay, on to the show. I wanted to do this podcast because I've been hearing for some time now that law firms or companies are having trouble finding the right talent in privacy. But at the same time, I get a fair amount of messages from emerging or aspiring privacy folks who are like, I can't get hired. 
And when I talk to them, it's clear they're bright, passionate, know their shit. So we know the GDPR itself reportedly ushered in hundreds or thousands of DPO roles. And if you look across your social networks, it legit feels like almost everyone in privacy is hiring and asking folks to spread the word. For years, law firms are constantly making a big to-do about the fact that they've hired big on their privacy teams or they've established a new privacy group for privacy. Privacy group for privacy. A new group for privacy. Uh, So what's the problem? What are we missing? This is an armchair expert opinion, but I think two things. One, sometimes if you're using a recruiter, that can lead to a misunderstanding on the recruiter's part of who actually might be good at the job versus what the job qualifications are and, you know, what the candidate's resume technically says. Also, obviously, we're nervous about pleasing clients or staying in compliance. That rhymes. Um, So I get it. You want to hire someone with experience that you can trust. But I would argue that you can trust people even more so, that you yourself trained. And yes, it's a time investment and time is money. But I just wonder if we can maybe shift this paradigm a little bit to ensure that privacy thrives as an industry and as a human right. Because y'all, you're the rock stars of today and eventually you're gonna wanna kick your feet up for a while and we need people to follow in your footsteps, hopefully through your guidance and your amazing uh, teachings and hiring practices too. I think this hits a nerve because I've had a lot of great teachers and mentors in my life, and I really feel like they're the only reason I'm alive. (laughs) Seriously, though, no joke. I have super relied on the kindness of those who, for whatever reason, invested in me and thought, you know, I think you have something. And even when I couldn't see it in terms of my future and things going okay, they could. And I really... I appreciate that so much and I want it for other people. So my hope with this episode is that someone's perspective or experience here either helps you get your first or next gig in privacy, or if you're a gatekeeper to the industry, if you're a hiring manager or in a position to hire, maybe you hear something in this that relaxes your fear somewhat over taking a chance on someone that you see something in. After all, the health of our industry and of privacy rights themselves depend on the people who do the work. If you've heard me talk about the privacy industry in general, you know I gush about how smart and cool and kind y'all are. But we can't work forever, so we need to reach down and help folks who want to follow in the trails you've blazed. So, I don't know, this combo. In this episode, I'm talking to Sherry Trong, Privacy Counsel at Asana, Ryan Torrey, who is counsel at VF Corporation, and Cleo Lee, who is an attorney who we aren't going to identify beyond that because she's looking to break into privacy. And for obvious reasons, we aren't going to uh, splash her company and title uh, across the internet. But um, hey, if you see something you like in her, she's looking for a gig. Hey, thank you guys so much for sharing this so far. I see you. I appreciate you. Please keep it up. Talk soon. Love you. So let's start with like the most easy breezy question of them all, which is uh, what drew you to privacy even in the first place? Ryan, let's start with you. I think that it was in law school. I took a class called cyber law. And during that time, I realized that there was a lot of gaps in the current legislation. And I wanted to marry my love for technology with, you know, my practice of law because my dad uh, worked for Comcast for a while and has I've built computers in my basement. I, I've I've been in, in and around tech. I, I grew up when I was younger going to Colos where stacks of computers are and 
um, you know, I just kind of wanted to marry those two. So I saw this as an opportunity in, in 2017 to kind of get on the hockey stick. And, you know, luckily I was looking at that time for a direction and this is what I found. Awesome. Sherry, what about you? I also kind of got interested in privacy around the time I was in law school. Um, I'm a really big, like, constitutional law nerd. It, like really big. I was on the Constitutional Law Journal. Um, and that's sort of like my first foray into this like concept of privacy. Um, and then I started taking privacy classes uh, at Hastings, which kind of set me on this path of like, maybe this could be a thing. But I don't think it actually crystallized until I was an intern at a company called GitHub. And I met my mentor, uh, who was also on a previous co- podcast, Hannah. Um, and she was doing, you know, all the greatest things like in privacy. And that was when I sort of realized, oh, this could be a career, not right now, but I could see it happening um, probably within the next like five to 10 years. And it was this new uncharted territory. Um, And I sort of felt like it was an area where it was like kind of like an equalizer in a sense, because it didn't matter how many years of experience you had. Like obviously experience counts for a lot, but everyone was trying to figure out the same problem at the same time in different ways. And so I felt like if there was a way to get my foot in the door, I could really make some really good strides and like make an impact in an area that hasn't really fully fleshed out yet. And so I was like, this is really exciting. I know it's going to be a thing. Lo and behold, years later, it's now a thing. (laughs) Um, So I'm happy that it ended up being that way. Yeah. And I, I know your boss, Hannah. She's amazing. Uh, as you said, she was on a recent podcast or your mentor, Hannah. Um, and she was on a recent podcast, uh, as well as Whitney Merrill, right? Who is, uh, who's your colleague now at Asana? Yeah. My current manager. Uh, I love working for both of them. They're both so passionate about privacy. And I think that's the, also the thing that I found really interesting is when you meet people who work in privacy, we're all like a really, really passionate and also super fun bunch. We talk about really, really nerdy things, but we just really love what we do. And I think it's very rare, especially in the legal industry, to like find a practice area that really resonates like that. Cleo, you are... So Cleo and I met only a week ago. Well, we've all met very recently, but Cleo and I were just having a coffee together. And when she started describing... Uh, what's up in her life lately, I said, you know what, you actually might be a great fit for this podcast I'm doing with Sherry and Ryan. Do you want to join us? And she was very sweet and agreed. Cleo, tell us a little bit about where you're at in your privacy journey. So I don't feel that special after Sherry and Ryan. You are. You are, Cleo. Because my love story with privacy also started in law school. So I took some privacy classes in my last year in law school, you know, with a mindset of exploring areas of law that I would probably never encounter in my life. Um, and as we all know, like I fell in love instead. Uh, I was very just intellectually curious about the subject matter. And the courses I took also touched upon not just privacy, but a variety of tech and privacy issues like freedom of speech, AI, machine learning, antitrust. So I was definitely like, wow, these are so interesting and so different from other areas of law. Uh, and that's the same point you're, you're talking about, um, Sherry, that it's still early stage and the law is constantly evolving people uh, i love that people are being nerdy and passionate about it and they like people generally care about the fundamental right to privacy um, and that's something i resonate with uh, also through the classes i found myself fascinated by the tech industry in general 
um, which was something that I had limited exposure to. But yeah, that's how it started for me. Let's talk a little bit about, because I think what we want to get at through this podcast is that <clears throat> we're seeing a bit of a a situation in our industry. Like, even though we love it and it's great, and in some ways it's thriving, there seems to be a disconnect between folks who really need to hire people and folks who really want to work for those people uh, in terms of either them finding each other or maybe a mismatch in expectations. Um, I think the best way for us to tell this story that we're seeing in the industry is through your voices in terms of what you've experienced. So Sherry, can you tell us a little bit about getting hired in privacy? Um, Was it an easy journey? Did you hit roadblocks? What was it like for you? Definitely wasn't easy. Uh, It takes I think a lot of grit to really try and find the right place. Um, And in the beginning it was sort of like what opportunities would give me space and experience to really get the skills that I need to be um, like a great privacy lawyer or even just a privacy professional, like working in this field. And um, I think like pre GDPR, it was really, really hard to figure out what that was because people didn't really invest in it. And they didn't see the value in it. And so I was sort of, even in the early stage of like interviewing for like an analyst position or something like that, I really had to kind of advocate for why just privacy in general was important, not just like why I was important in this role, but why privacy was important in general. The issue that we're running into now is like there are these abundant jobs, but I don't see, I see a lot of people kind of running to the same roadblocks I do, which is, they want a certain number of years of experience, but privacy is still a pretty like young comparatively like industry. And so people don't really see or know what they're really looking for. They want someone to come in and be able to just out of the box, be like, here's how you do all these things. Not understanding that privacy is not a one size fits all kind of solution. Um, So through that experience, like I had a lot of roadblocks and trying to figure out, how do I get to the end point of like, I want to be privacy counsel. What is going to take me there? I had really good sponsors and mentors like um, Hannah and Whitney that like advocate for me. Um, And also just being able to kind of take a step back and seeing everything as a path towards what you want. It might not quite align in the beginning, but if you kind of like see them as building blocks as long as you kind of are like moving in the same direction to towards where you want to be and you're really, really passionate about privacy, I, I find that most people who have the that together um, usually end up in the role that they want at the end, whether that's a legal position or, you know, a non-legal position. Ryan, did you have similar experiences to Sherry or what was your journey like in the early days? So I think my journey was a little bit differently, but I wanted to touch on something that Sherry said in the beginning that kind of goes to the years of experience part that I think that is at sometimes the issue in the hiring situation when recruiters are going out and looking for people with these numbers of years experience. As Sherry said in the beginning, we're all solving these problems at the same time. There's new laws that are happening every day. And if if you can show that you can think on your feet during an interview, I think that rec- recruiters and interviewers should be cognizant of that, that that plays a large role in what we do moving forward, not only now, but in the future. And that's very important for roles like ours. Um, but for me, I think I was super lucky because I got on with a small consulting firm out of uh, Malvern. 
And I was kind of the privacy person at the time. I, I just graduated law school. I hadn't taken the bar, though. So I wasn't an attorney yet. So I was kind of straddling this line. I wasn't giving legal advice, but I was also doing SOC 2 Type 2 compliance and helping in those uh, capacities, operationalizing clients, compliance a little bit more. And then I was able to find a privacy analyst role. And I think similar to what Sherry said, kind of moving up and identifying roles that will give you that next level experience that you can then, you know, parlay into what you eventually want down the road, whatever that is. But, um, you know, not being closed off to any sort of things that come your way, because if you can critique or tailor that sort of resume to that particular role that you're looking for and pull out those soft skills that we're kind of talking about and show that you have these different components um, is super, uh, I think, valuable. But for me personally, I don't think mine is a traditional path. I think I got lucky. I got super fortunate like Sherry and probably everyone on this call to find some incredible mentors and, and people that really advocated for me along the way. Um, and, you know, I'm just super grateful for them. So I'm going to say Mary Pat Kang and, and Matt Cordell have been super, super great. Matt's my manager right now. And it's been only a couple months, but I've learned so much already. And, uh, you know, finding those types of people has been just um, integral to the quote unquote success that I've that I've found so far. I'll never be upset when you give shout outs to mentors on this show, because that's like the only way that I've survived <laughs> in my career and thrive. And I also just want to make sure that we encourage that type of behavior um, and that mentors know how meaningful it is, because I think I don't know about other industries because I've basically worked in this industry my whole life, but uh, I know how important those mentorships are in privacy and how many people I've spoken with that said someone, you know, realized that I had uh, the ability to, I had something in there that they liked and they, they saw some nuggets and then they decided like yeah. they were going to stick with me and coach me up. And like, you know, it is, I think it's unspeakably like, um, it's hard to even quantify how important those relationships are, but the problem yeah. is finding them, right? Like you guys have been lucky. I've been pretty lucky. Do you mind if I just say one more person and then, and then I'm, and then I'm good. Uh, Olga Ernst at Liferay was incredible for me. She, she schooled me up in, in the, like the attorney approach. And that really helped me kind of grow as an, as not only a privacy person, but an attorney. So two of those things were super helpful and I'm sorry to interrupt. That's okay. Hey, this is your Oscar moment. You know, you do it. Uh, Cleo, what I'm excited about for you on this podcast is that for one thing, I feel like maybe you'll get some tips just from this conversation because you're early in your journey. But I also just want to ask, because you are early on in your journey, what are things like on the ground? Like right now, we know that Ryan and Sherry have been successful in landing privacy gigs and they're thriving. We want to welcome you into the fold. But what's it been like for you trying to get into the fold so far? Yeah, thanks, Anjali. First, I got to say, I feel very encouraged by Sherry and Ryan. And I, I appreciate their their tips a lot. Um, and so for, for me, the short answer is it has been quite a journey and it's an ongoing journey. So uh, just a little bit background about myself. Uh, I graduated from Georgetown Law in 2020, and I, I'm currently a trade lawyer at a boutique law firm in D.C. Um, so, you know, previously I talked about my interest in privacy back in law school. So I let that interest simmer for a while because it was three out. The pandemic had just started and I was going to do trade. I like trade and I appreciate it for like a lot of reasons, but I've always felt that 
privacy is calling for me. Uh, so here I am. Uh, as someone that, you know, doesn't, doesn't have a lot of privacy experience per se, um, it, it, it is an issue. And I, the first advice I got from everybody was to get the CIPP certifications. So I got my CIPP US in March this year uh, and then started looking, actively looking. Um, you know, I've been working with some headhunters on applying for ladder positions for privacy. It hasn't been working out, I think, exactly for the reason that we talk, we've been talking about. Like, they always require at least two to three years of privacy experience. And I don't have that on my resume. Um, so, and I realized that, you know, I need to think of, uh, do some strategy thinking on how to break into privacy. Um, like this is something you, you were touching touching on, Sherry. And um, I also realized I need to actively like do more networking and find mentors. So that this is what I'm doing currently have been doing now. I actually enjoy networking because you know it is a great way for me to learn about privacy. You know, I ask people like what they do at their current jobs, um, what their opinions are on a of legislation and what advice they have for me um so so definitely like i'm also motivated to get myself educated on privacy issues when i'm talking to these people um so definitely like people generally are helpful i have some um mentors i i will say their names once i land uh, at a job on privacy job for sure but I appreciate them. Um, I appreciate you, Angelique. I, you know, I reach out to you like a fangirl because I like this podcast and you just invited me on the show. Um, but yeah, so it, it, to sum up, it is a process and I am definitely, it's definitely hard when I have a full-time job, but I believe, you know, I, it's driven by passion and I will ultimately get to where I want to be. It just, um, I need to embrace the process. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I also think it's the unfair part is like, we're asking you to embrace a process that might be a little flawed. Uh, and so I think that's what we want to talk a little bit about. I mean, for one thing, I was telling Cleo the other day that I always encourage people to just jump in the mix. Like privacy is very active on LinkedIn and Twitter. And so to the extent that you're comfortable um, and you have the time to be, you know, weighing in on other people's posts on important topics and issues. And, you know, we have this new federal law proposal that's come out. Everyone's up in arms. Uh, you know, the UK is proposing a new uh, digital data bill. Um, there's no shortage of things going on all the time um, to, to get in on. But again, like if you're working a full-time job and trying to break into privacy, that can also be difficult, you know, and that's not even talking about life circumstances, yeah. of, you know, partners and children and tr trying to stay alive during COVID. Um, but I think what would be interesting is to dive a little deeper into why do we think this is happening? Like, what advice might we have for industry? Um, actually, what I want to do first is ask, I want to ask Ryan and Cherry a specific question. When you have gone through hiring processes for the jobs that you have successfully obtained in privacy, were you dealing with a recruiter or were you dealing with someone who was directly uh would be directly above you or somewhere above you in the role that you were to serve because i think part of the problem might be in terms of you know recruiters and people who are working for companies to hire not having a great idea of the nuance and things that they should consider but maybe i'm wrong and that's not even happening sherry to you first generally speaking my recent 
opportunities were recruiters reaching out to me, like on LinkedIn. Um, and let me tell you, there you go. When I first started my career in privacy, I was begging people to look at my resume. So having it be like <laughs> the reverse now that I'm a few years out, and uh, you know, it's it's very nice uh, and very affirming. And it only took you a few years, right? Like you're that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's. I would say I would say like the first two two and a half years, three years were like kind of tough. Um, and I really relied on my network and my mentors, my wonderful, wonderful mentors. Um, and, uh, I feel like you're really lucky if you get a recruiter that a understands the market, like not just the industry, but like the privacy market as a whole and how fast it is that like people get snatched up and looking for people who aren't just sort of like checking certain boxes because it's really hard to tell just from a resume because so many people in privacy, I feel, and myself included, have a very non-traditional path towards privacy and in law in general. Um, and so I've been really fortunate in getting recruiters that seem to have that instinct, especially when I was joining my current company, the recruiter really just said all the right things that I needed to hear. And then when I did meet um, you know, the subject matter experts or the people that I would be working with both within the privacy team and cross-functionally, it felt like I was at the right place, right? That feeling of like, okay, it seems like my privacy ethos aligns with this company and the people that I'm working with are great. Um, and so that I would say is the lucky part in the beginning was very much, like I said, relationships. My, first like real like privacy heavy job other than like when I was a law clerk was at GitHub. And I got that job because two people that I worked with during my internship wanted to take a chance on me and said, we need you on this really big thing. Please come work for us. We think that you are like very, very specifically well fit to kind of be the conduit in between the legal team and like the governance and risks team and the security teams and engineering. And I want you to give it a shot. And that was and Terry, what sorry to interrupt you, but I want to ask you on that point. What did you show them specifically? Was it like personality characteristics? Was it interest? Was it skill? Like what 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 made them say, hey, we see this? I just tend to be a very passionate person and I think that really like comes out in my work. And also I'm very curious. There's never like an ending to like when I'm trying to like figure out a solution to a problem. And I'm also not shy at getting people to work together cross functionally to get work done. Um, and in like a very, very, I think structured way. Um, and I get to, I think what they saw in me was my ability to kind of like, I can kind of see how things connect in a way that like a lot of people maybe struggle with. And that's just like a natural ability I have, which worked to my advantage. Um, and also I really, really cared about my work product, like not just privacy work or this other thing. Like I really take pride in my work and I think that showed through and it's the, only reason I think I got this job because they called me up and like convinced me to do it basically because I didn't believe in myself at the time because I was still trying to figure that stuff out and like no one in privacy was really guiding me at the time um, and then I just so happened to like boomerang back to GitHub and then I was working on privacy stuff for a 7.5 billion dollar acquisition between Microsoft and GitHub and I was like two years out of school no one gets that opportunity and I think I think one piece of advice that I can give, I have multiple points, but take the opportunities that come up that feel like, well, this is interesting that like this keeps like coming up and I wouldn't have expected it. Like run with that. 
and don't give up because usually those experiences will kind of throw you into the fire, which is how you learn in privacy. Similar to Sherry's, um, but I think I started a little differently where I was focused on getting a, a role that I could marry the two, my, my master's in cybersecurity with my law at the time. And it, I wasn't barred. So I was trying to figure out what that role looked like. So I kind of like almost created it within this small organization. And then when I was looking to get an actual privacy role, I was just firing resumes all the time. You know, I was just hitting the pavement, like knocking doors, basically, you know, as they say. Um, but once I found this, the, the privacy role, I wanted to move to a council role. So it was kind of, I was trying to be more selective in the process when I was looking for different roles. Um, but this time around, uh, I was, you know, I was fortunate enough, like Sherry says, it feels good when you're like, Hey, you know, somebody reached out to you saying, Oh, you, you look like, you know what you're talking about. Um, because I think we all have a sort of that like imposter syndrome at some point in time in your career. And, you know, that's sometimes, and it's still hard to get over sometimes. Every single day, Ryan, every single day. Yeah. Right. And it's really hard to get over that sometimes, but this time around, you know, very similar. I feel like I'm just echoing Sherry, but you know, I was able to talk to a recruiter that really knew kind of the industry and really was able to talk to me through the process and why this was a good opportunity. And cause I wasn't necessarily looking at the time. And, you know, luckily once I met the team that I'm working with currently, who is absolutely phenomenal at their jobs and I get to learn from, you know, people all across the globe and just w at home every day, it's an incredible opportunity. And once I got to sit down with them, it was like just talking to old friends. And, you know, I think during the interview with one of my colleagues now, I think we talked about Costa Rica the whole time. So it wasn't even like, you know, we weren't even talking about the job. Um, but another thing that I think that is super important to this industry that Sherry touched on is having an ability to connect the dots amongst other cross-functional teams is almost vital to the roles that we play. And if you can do that, so in law school, I started a cyber law society at Drexel. And that's a tip that I would say for people that are young in the industry. If you're in school, you know, look to those, those groups, those clubs, maybe you can put that on your resume. Maybe that makes you stand out differently. Um, but what we focused on was breaking down those information silos because they get created regardless of any industry or any company, because people have different thought processes and the way that they do things is differently from a security team to a legal team to a marketing team. So different. And being able to communicate amongst those groups is super difficult. Um, and I think you, the question was actually what critique do we have for the industry? And I, I think that I, you know, um, we talked about it a little bit before, but focusing on years of experience might not be the best route to go in the current, you know, industry, depending on the level of role, obviously, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there, but um, I think that sometimes gets in the way of good candidates. And um, I think that that's something that might 
we might want to ease up on. Yeah, I think, I mean, if I had to like really generalize, it seems like that's the crux of the issue is that they're looking at years versus potential or skill set. And I don't understand why <clears throat> I was having this conversation. I was, I think I was telling y'all in our planning call, I was on this other podcast with uh, Andy Dale and Pedro Pavan, who are both, you know, working privacy professionals. And they were lamenting that, you know, that we do have a problem and that there should be more emphasis on mentorship. And, you know, if you, when you buy into someone and they buy into you as a mentor, that type of relationship is money. And there's, when I think about my mentors in my life, I can think of three people right now that like I would do literally anything for, and I knew them in a professional capacity. And it's because when I was feeling like not very sure of myself and, you know, whether it was, I was a teenager scooping ice cream, which literally one of my mentors was my manager at the ice cream shop, who I still turn to and hang out with when I'm back in Maine all the time for life advice, you know, whether it's that, or it's, you know, in my case, being a writer or being a writer in privacy, the people who were like, you know, you need a little polish, but like, I see something like for me, I will work so hard for you and forever. And also if you need a kidney later, like I'm your girl, you know what I mean? And so that's why I'm sort of confused by this idea that people aren't willing to take a little bit more of a chance if they see maybe a little spark in someone. And that's why I'm wondering if it's a, if it's a recruiter issue, if it's like a, there's a, the middleman is missing the point, Sherry. I think it's really hard to try and hire in a very traditional way for a non-traditional industry. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and there's so many different people that work in privacy. People have 10 years of experience in something completely different, right? Or tangentially related, like computer science or like something amazing like that. And I think when faced with having to recruit and like, get people in the door and find these candidates, they're not finding things that like really align up. And especially for like legal type roles, it's very easy to fall into that trap of like seven plus years of experience. Literally it's like a copy and paste for each job description. And they want to find a certain person to like fit this mold. And I always tell people you are not looking for the right people. If you're trying to fit a privacy person into this mold that isn't made for them because the privacy industry changes So there is no mold, really, unless you're just looking for straight up skills. And so when people think that they want to hire someone, they go, well, experience means everything because you will have seen everything. But they don't realize that, like, we have built things that get, like, taken down the next day. And then we all have to figure out a new way of doing it. And so experience matters in the sense that you kind of gain more confidence. You get an instinct. You get more skills and all those things. And I don't want to discount that, like, years of experience, like, has a positive kind of effect or you know it is important but i also think that when you're trying to like hire someone that should be secondary to well what do you think about privacy do you want to read about this all day every day does it like light a fire in you when someone you know does something where you know very clearly it like breaks the trust of like it's their users for a product right These are all very like important things that I think people leave out of because I think hiring can be kind of like kind of robotic. Um, And so you miss those things. They don't know to look for those things. And that's why when I said earlier, like when I go into these interviews, I feel like I have to advocate for myself because as soon as I say it, they're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what what we need. And I'm like, yes, but a person who doesn't have my experience isn't going to know to tell you that. 
Exactly. Exactly. I want to turn to Cleo because I want to bring her back in the fold. But first, Ryan, reactions to that because I know you have a point. Yeah, because it's just like that goalpost is always moving and it's always changing, right? And I think you could even parlay like customer service experience into this role because I'm always dealing with our internal clients and trying to, you know, smooth over a situation that, you know, we have to react in a quick way and they're asking why, why, why? And then I have to, you know, kind of smooth it over and say, oh, and explain and, you know, have that kind of like, you know, tone and candor with people versus someone that might not have had a customer service experience. Like I worked in a movie theater and I was a caddy growing up. So I had people that would yell at me periodically about, you know, whether they hit a bad shot or something, but you know, I would have to deal with them because at the end of the day, they're going to tip me. Well, if I'm nicer or from me. Oh my God. I just would, you know what? Let's record an entire other podcast on you telling me about how you calm down like rich white people after they hit a bad shot. It's like, not easy. And I was you. like 13 years old <laughs> carrying uh, like a 20 oh pound bag. So no, God it was rough. You. Yeah. Um, Cleo, I want to ask, you know, general reactions to hearing this. And also, I mean, what, what do you feel like you have access to people who could potentially be mentors. Have people been welcoming? What could we do for someone like you, others in your situation to make getting a gig in privacy easier based on your early experience with this? I know you're new at it. So I would stick with the our discussion on mentors for sure. I've had some people like not only just having one conversation with me, but like keep in touch with me. Also, I do my own follow-ups too, but they ask you like, how are you, what, what, what are you, um, what have you been working on? What's the recent process? Um, and, and I tell them the updates and that just motivates even more. I'm like, okay, like I'm forming these long-term relationships. Um, and I feel, I feel good. I feel motivated because sometimes it, we do feel frustrated during the process. Right. And, um, back to the point of, um, you know the the uh, the, the middleman always asking for privacy experience. I I don't. I mean, I've been a lawyer for two years so far. I don't want to be viewed as someone with zero privacy experience. I'm someone that with two years of good legal training and my passion for privacy and my oh my connection so far. You know, I'm a member of IEPP, all this, all that stuff. So I want someone to recognize that and mentor me give me good training and take a you know and have some faith in me and pro- i probably won't go as far as giving up my kidney but i will give a lot 